Good morning and welcome to Home Retreats. For various technical reasons, this is the only place we are able to live stream this morning. I'd like to talk to you about being Benedict in the world. The mission of the Oblate. And in many ways it's appropriate to be here at the altar because this is where an oblate places their oblation charter, the promise that they make. Oblates have had a long history. In the life of St. Benedict, we read of people living nearby, giving him material food and then taking back in turn the spiritual food which they received from him. Over the next few centuries, it seems that there were those who were educated in monasteries, but then went out into the world, becoming witnesses to the spirituality they received. By the 11th century, we see the Holy Roman Emperor, Henry II, one of the patron saints of Oblates, wanting to join a monastery, but being told by the abbot to continue ruling. Gradually, two sorts of oblates developed. Those living within a monastery, but without vows, and those living in the world, but affiliated to a monastery. The Lateran Council in 1215 recognized oblates as those living as laity in obedience to a monastery and identifying that monastery as their heir. By the 14th century, that financial obligation had rather faded as Francis of Rome, the other patron saint of oblates, began to organize groups of women in Rome in prayer and service whilst being linked to a local monastery. The Oblates therefore developed in a unique way. Different from the third orders, the tertiaries of the Franciscans of the Dominicans and the Carmelites, Benedictine oblates do not follow a general spirituality, but they are united with a particular monastery through the rites of oblation. And that is more than working alongside or supporting financially particular monasteries. Last month, I gathered in Rome with about 150 oblates from around the world for a congress to consider how oblates are called to live the wisdom of the rule as Benedict in the world. I'd like to share my reflections from the talks and the discussions we had that week. The oblates were urged to think locally drawing from the link to their home monastery, understanding the sort of model that monasteries can provide. One speaker recalled Pope Benedict XVI arguing that 
just as many medieval monasteries had reclaimed physical marshland for their farming, so today monasteries can reclaim the toxicity, the pollution of our cultural environment, where God and neighbor can be marginalized. Monasteries, and therefore oblates, are called to be places and people with God and fraternity at the center. This goes against the strong pull we feel towards individualism, the temptation for the whole of our daily life, the times and activities, to be completely organized around the commitments of my own ego without any real stable obligations to others. It's all about me. Oblates therefore need a certain openness to learn a sort of teachability in both ordinary and extraordinary activities, their daily life and stronger moments when they might go particularly to retreats or to gatherings of oblates. This teachability requires a vigilance, a discernment, an asceticism, a prayer, a study, a work. It is a lifelong formation or progression in which everything is material for God's creative, shaping and transforming work. There is a certain personal responsibility on the oblate to nourish themselves wisely in a balanced and varied way. But there is also the realization that they cannot do this on their own. That is why they recognize the importance of their home monastery. We cannot simply rely on our own judgment. From this base, it's possible then to live out our baptism, to follow Christ, not imitating him from a distance with the danger that this following becomes rather external to us with no real commitment of the heart rather like driving in GPS mode, simply relying on that external voice with no integration with the road, no real participation. And this requires the cherishing of silence to nurture concentration and recollection against the superficiality that can so often surround us and that can end up dissipating our spirits. Silence represents the fertile soil, the fertile soil of a unified life. A medieval Carthusian wrote the following, he who does not keep silence cannot hear him who speaks. Let the earth of my soul be silent in your presence, O Lord, that I may hear what the Lord God says in me. For the words that he murmurs cannot be heard except in silence. 
It is in silence that the spirit spreads its wings. Oblates are called to follow this path in their ordinary lives. In 1980, on the 1400th anniversary of St. Benedict's birth, Pope St. John Paul II was speaking at Norcia, where Benedict was born. He, he said, Benedict saw the need for a radical program of evangelical holiness in an ordinary form in daily life, for the heroic to become normal and the normal to become heroic. So he became the pioneer of a new civilization through the simplicity and universality of this message. And more recently, Pope Francis has written, if we have eyes to see God at work at every moment in our lives, everything can turn out to be important and valuable. The every day is the training ground in which we mature and grow, raising children, earning a living, coping with illness. In this constancy to go forward every day, I see the middle class of holiness, the middle class of holiness. One monk writing about monasteries said the Benedictine gift was golden mediocrity. In getting the balance right, it is possible to discover that gold. Our attitude to time changes if we grasp the preciousness of the everyday, if we yearn for an inner and outer stability that is anchored in God. Only then will it become possible not to succumb to a sort of dashing around, but instead to pursue a life that is, in the right way, sober and unified. One speaker in Rome brought up the image of the bee, that classic monastic image of an industrious, organized and productive community. How can this be applied to oblates? Well, for the bee, the hive is the fundamental work, gathering nectar and pollen to build up that hive. For oblates, I suppose the hive is the community, the family, the workplace that they belong to. And to build up that hive, they seek out the necessary goodness. This is hard work, as we can see for bees. But there is variety and beauty amidst that ordinariness. As they engage with the world, as they go out, they discover God mediated, coming to them through his creation. And they produce two byproducts, which are not their primary aim. Firstly, honey. 
Honey that can be a sweet offering drawing others to the hive. And pollination. As they move from flower to flower, they bring benefits in transferring that pollen benefits to the flower. Now these good things are byproducts. And often we find that to be the case in other areas of life. Holiness, humility, humor. If we try too hard, if we aim directly at them, we find that to be rather counterproductive. If we are faithful to our fundamental work, then there are fruits and benefits for others. Any sweetness we offer, any holiness or humility, is not our primary aim. And any connections we bring in providing what others need, in pollinating others, again, is not our primary aim. But we collect nectar and pollen that we find in our prayer, in the Psalms, in our work, in our communities and encounters. And so we both build up the hive in our families and friendships in our local church. And we also offer honey to the wider world and bring about pollination for others. That brings me on really to look at the mission of the Oblate. Paul VI, in declaring St. Benedict the patron saint of Europe back in 1964, called Benedict the messenger of peace. Peace not simply as coexistence and non-interference. We need to welcome the peace as a gift from God and learn how to dwell in that peace. St. Augustine wrote, if you want to draw others to peace, you must first have it yourselves. First hold on to it yourselves. And so oblates can become ambassadors of reconciliation in a divided world, in the different circumstances of their lay lives, learning how to bring about unity realizing that no one is expendable or useless and that difference can bring life. Oblates can take the charism of hospitality out into the world. You know, I'm sure from your own experience that you can have the best food on the table, the most sumptuous setting and yet no hospitality. You notice when it is absent and when it is present. Taking this as one example of how to adapt the, the rule of St. Benedict to lay life. Benedict's emphasis on hospitality shows us how to greet people with kindness, not artificially, not obsequiously, with a certain formality perhaps, in washing the hands and their feet, we attend to the needs of others. In inclining our head and prostrating, 
before guests. This is not a pretend sort of chumminess, but a basic respect that we indicate physically so that it can be seen. Now, of course, today we express that in a different way, not prostrating ourselves before guests, but a handshake, eye contact, the warmth in the voice, the remembering of names, even the modern ritual of offering a drink. And not just how to greet people, but how to say goodbye. God be with you. Monks ask the abbot for a blessing when they go on a journey. That sense of commending people to God at its most basic level means simply wishing people well when they leave, not just dropping them. We're finished here, therefore I'm no longer interested in you. And why is hospitality important? To those who say, I love God, he would ask, do you love your neighbor? To those who say, I welcome God, he would say, do you welcome strangers? In the language of the rule, guests are welcomed because in them, Christ is adored. And so we need to learn how to listen patiently, attentively, with humanity, without judgment. And that is the same for oblates, that is their offering, their presence to others, their offering of a welcome. In a world where often people feel unwelcomed and alienated. This is not seeking headlines, not seeking the limelight. This is being often inconspicuous, even on the margins. With all the pressures today of social media, this sort of humility is a sign of real outer and inner freedom. Like wildflowers in a meadow, even if they are not directly admired by others, they still make the world more beautiful in a discreet way, showing the joy of being disciples of Jesus. Because the mission that we are called to is not primarily a message to carry. We ourselves are converted in the process. The gospel is not a possession we have. It is like bread that needs to be baked fresh each day. And so we are not preoccupied with success. We do not depend on the hope of results, but we value the rightness and the truth of the work in itself. Learning how to be not perfect, but happy. A sort of Paschal spirituality that can embrace failure at times and that can therefore enable us to care for and heal the wounds of others, rather than sprinkling on them the salts of judgment that discourages and belittles. In conclusion, the wisdom of the rule of St. Benedict, the monastic tradition, can serve as a roadmap 
for those in daily contact with the world, enabling them to become Benedictine missionaries, Benedict in the world. And so may God bless you this day, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.